0: What is your fantasy? How many of you are there? New theme music. <laughs> Welcome to Voyage of the Geek. It's It feels almost regal now. Mm. The only thing missing is our super <coughs> motion graphics animation that we've got teams of experts working on as we speak.
1: Like a bought one, as I said before.
0: Welcome to Voyage of the Geek. Myself, Dave Scotland, joined by Dan Miller, where we come together and discuss all things geek all things happening in the geekosphere, things we come across during the week mm. uh, And we throw them across the table and discuss them every week on a, usually on a Monday mm-hmm. Although Tuesdays are, uh, for the past two weeks it's been Tuesdays Maybe there's a trend there, I don't know okay. uh, But usually on a Monday night, 7pm, <coughs> Australian Eastern Standard um,
1: th- The opening theme music mm. Please explain Please explain well we had to get something so it sounded professional um, <clears throat> so we had a bit of a think about it and uh, puts put together some some music the other night which was good fun it was great
0: fun was collaborative effort diving into uh, some some dubstep sample packs and yeah classic sci-fi downloaded a bunch of sci-fi uh, movie clips yeah it was good fun threw it together in Ableton
1: Yep, Ableton Live using some uh, using your your MIDI device.
0: It's Novation, is it Novation?
1: Novation, yeah, controller. Really handy for firing off clips yeah, and it stuff was awesome. live production.
0: I found it really good for um, for jamming, mm-hmm. you know, which is what you want to do when you're thinking about putting a song together. You want to jam some riffs, you know, throw some stuff, see what that sounds like over the top of this. Yeah, you don't want to sit there all the time just. Um, playing with keyboards and mouse
1: you know mm. it just feels a little and bit. trying more, to put it together one by one it's more organic it, for those who don't know it's like a big pad and you can sort yeah. of it's got big buttons on it and they're all colored and you can assign you know little segments and pieces of a of um, some music that you want to put together to each one and then you just sort of press them and it's just like playing a musical instrument and it just fires off the clips absolutely <clears throat> so
0: very uh very happy and and proud now that we have Theme music, mm-hmm. um, and we've got in the pipe some other things that we're going to throw our hat into the ring for um, some some voiceover or redubbing mm. of some classic sci-fi stuff. We're looking at yeah, yeah. Uh, we won't let too much out of the bag yet, mm. um, but yeah, definitely we're going to try to team up with uh, with our brother-in-arms uh, Rick Legato, mm-hmm. and uh, and maybe do some stuff along the lines of redubbing some old classic sci-fi. <laughs> So, what's been happening through the week for you, sir? Uh,
1: busy week. Busy week mm-hmm. at work. Um, but have been checking out all sorts of things. Um, classic sci-fi movies, which is one of those things that we're mm-hmm. starting to do a bit of research. And when I say classic, I mean crap. Oh, yeah. <laughs> B- yeah, Maybe crap's unfair. But <clears throat> B-grade. Yeah. Um, 19- well, not even B-grade. It's like 1950s... Or 60s you know or 30s or whatever and some of it I think is the best that they had to offer. At the time you might be right. Some of it isn't necessarily um, some of it is a bit cheesy and, and I was talking to you before about possible uh, genres for this type of thing mm. some of them are actually kids movies Yeah. you know if it's got a kid in it yeah. it's a kids movie so you should sort of yep. judge it on that um, but there are some that yeah and yeah, one of the things that I want us to do, and we've discussed about doing in the future, is doing some movie reviews of these classic, in inverted commas, sci-fi, I don't know, horror, whatever they are, but some of those classic um, 1960s. sixties, they've got, mo- Cult, the word cult. Cult is probably a good jumps one. Jumps in there as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot of them are very obscure, even though they might oh, be cult, they're yeah. very
0: obscure. <laughs> Extremely obscure, like... like um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers yeah. <laughs> from Venus Go to Washington.
1: Yeah, yeah, maybe we can come up with something. It's got to have the word invasion in the title, yeah. uh, name of a planet, and, and it's got to have atomic or something yeah. or other in there. Because yes. all of these were actually made during this atomic Absolutely. age. And yeah, so everything is caused by atomic stuff. When you compare the 40s and the media mm. of the 40s to the 50s mm.
0: and then into the 60s, the 50s were the Jetsons, you know, were, mm. the, were like this futuristic uh, race compared to only 10 years earlier, mm. albeit in the, in the throes of a world war. Mm. But it was just amazing that, especially stylistically, where we had bubble tops on, on convertibles and everything got chrome trimmed and... Um, which just crazy that such a big difference in style and in a futuristic attitude a sort of
1: look to the future attitude it's got that art deco kind of a feel a lot of it has that art deco yeah. feel even
0: a toaster yeah yeah you know and,
1: yeah and now it's retro it's it's <clears throat> in you
0: know, yeah people uh, you can go out to one of the department stores and you'll see toasters that you would expect to buy in the 50s mm. sitting on the shelf now for $200 mm.
1: yeah I think um yeah, yeah, that, that sort of thing. Um, I don't know, I imagine in the 1950s they were trying to make things look space age yeah. and new and, and the latest thing. And so they had those Art Deco chrome toasters with, you know, really appealing designs and stuff.
0: And you can't help but bring into it, I think, and, and this is... Cars it, with fins. This is an assumption on or, or my behalf. But it was a major world war. Mm. And, it, and it sent nations broke mm. and um, you know industry just ground to a halt if you weren't making weapons and vehicles and planes you weren't making much um, you do you do that for 10 years, you know close to 10 years um, you need a, you want a new deal, mm-hmm. you know what I mean mm-hmm. and, they, and they tried to reinvent their culture mm. they did a very good job of it, I think you know um, if we didn't have nuclear uh, the the nuclear side of things in that period. Imagine what what would have happened because because of the Cold War that stopped all that. As we got towards the sixties, it was then all about communism and and mm. and, and, and capitalism mm. and, and the Cold War came mm. in, and then so much money went into that. Mm. Imagine mm. if we didn't have that side of it, you know, and uh, where what we would
1: look like today. Mm. Mm. Maybe I would have got the jetpack that they promised me. <laughs> The cold war was just an extension of the second world war really it just didn't stop it just went cold yeah you know and people just swapped allegiances and things like that um
0: they were they were driven by slightly different um slightly different ideals but you're right it just sort of the the powers just shifted Mm. but ultimately it was a big land grab after the second world war but i've often thought of what the place would look like if because because of the 50s like it was just a crazy time there was some awesome stuff but yes the films that that and and what i loved about it is that one culture would make a film and then every other culture would try to make their version of that film Mm. and that went all the way up to the 90s Mm. um i don't know whether we still do it now i think it's because we're such a worldwide media space Mm. you can't really get away with it like you used to Mm -hmm. you used to be able to to just totally copy Mm. a film in another language. Um, and get away with it. There's all
1: sorts sorts of restrictions on that nowadays, isn't there? Yeah. So that, and instead what you end up doing is copying your own movies. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And defining your own style. Yeah, yeah. And Well, I'm saying that in a negative sense. Copy your own movies is you go and reboot yeah. something or other and you just bring it out again. And again and again. Well, I don't God, know. Godzilla if, 38. Yeah, if Yugoslavia goes and steals Star Wars and they do their own version, at least it'll be different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah. what it makes for... for, for
0: uh, <sighs> For us here at Voyage of the Geek, it makes for fodder mm. uh, for this redubbing sort of stuff we want to get into because mm. the the world is full of these. They they're not even they're not even B-grade films because they're the they're the cheap copies mm. of the B-grade films, <laughs> um, often in other languages. Therefore, there's sort of cultural differences, but always poorly acted, um, overreacted and mm. overacted, and weird combinations mm. of. Monkey suit, fishbowl on head—you <laughs> um, know, there's all sorts of weird prosthetics and things like
1: that. I really want to analyse some of these movies yeah. um, and sort of just check out: are they really that bad? Yeah. You know, check them out from a cinematographic cinema point of view, from a story point of view, from a character—you know—and uh, from a acting point of view. Absolutely. And so then they might score highly in one section. It might be a good story but it's just poorly acted and the, the sets are made out of cardboard yeah, yeah. and yeah. you yeah. know all of that and those things sometimes might get more obvious than the um yeah than the actual story itself yeah and
0: that must be the way that that the greatest movie script in history could potentially be shot by the worst cinematographer the <laughs> yeah. worst director the, yeah. Do you know what i mean like yeah. the planets have to align yeah, yeah. to get Uh, uh, Last Starfighter Mm -hmm. To get a Star Wars Mm -hmm. um, We've seen it Not Mm -hmm. a line You Mm -hmm. know You you can see it over and over again If you do the research Into the Behind the movie And how it came to be And Mm -hmm. things like that You can often see um, How those two planets were out And that's why we got A big steaming turd Mm. Um, And it's interesting Yeah I'm I'm looking forward to uh, To Jumping into that I've wanted
1: to do it For so many years We're Um, We had um, come into a talk for us today, a guy called Eddie Prickett, who who is an animator. Yep. Um, And has worked on multiple different shows uh, and, um, you know, Cloudy with Meatballs, Chance of Meatballs and a bunch of other animated stuff. And, you know, one of the things that he highlights is that... um, yeah, he's we've thrown up his um, his reel up on the um, up on the screen here. Uh, he's an animator. Um, you know, one of the things that he highlights is that, and this I think we've mentioned before, is that the animation process, the process of creating animated films, just requires so much work, so much energy, and it also lends itself to lots of planning. Mm. And so you know, maybe these movies come out better because of the nature of them, right? Like he'd. One thing that Eddie mentioned that impressed him was uh, like Disney movies, you know. In the 3D world, in 3D animation, there's undos. Yes. You know, in a in a sort of a, a minute sense, but also in a larger sense, yeah. in the sense that you can um, <clears throat> save as, you know, your your shots and yeah. try out an experiment in a different direction, and then, nah, it didn't work, you can go back to this one. But, you know, his... Um, his admiration was for these sort of the old-timer guys who yeah. were just drawing with pencils there's no undos there's no. no undos. you know not in a mini sense perhaps you could rub something out or they had some technique for removing stuff but there's but no could you couldn't un- go and trial a whole concept that's right explore down a little area and then yeah. reverse and backtrack you know yeah. and so he was saying that you know these guys had to get it right first time and that required Planning. Planning, yes. planning, 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 yeah. planning, and it also required some experts who knew what they were doing, so that they could execute the plan, sort of live, yeah. you know, animation sort of live on the spot and do it right there. Yeah, that, the master and apprentice <clears throat> um, scenario was still
0: was was being used at that time, mm. and and you had your lead animators in studios in the traditional two D times. Um, were the masters and they passed on that those skills to the apprentice but only after the apprentice was you know they they had to had to do pay their penance you know Mm. they had to do their time and Mm. and get there they had to and that that separates most of the uh the wheat from the chaff Mm. and and therefore even the juniors are awesome Mm. you know and so by the time they get become master it's it's an economy of of stroke you mm. know when it's 2d and it's hand drawn mm. there's an economy to what they do because there has to be mm. you, you can as you say you can't just experiment and draw entire scenes and sequences in the hope that you might find something yeah
1: explore and find something by. you've got to plan and
0: know what you're going to do yeah yeah um, mm. and yeah i have the same admiration for those guys and you're right we live in an undo
1: world and eddie was saying that a lot of his animation style is based off exploration so he knows that he's got to do a certain bunch of things and he's got a few few solid ideas in his mind but that's about it and then he can just use the software and the medium to just explore different avenues to then sort of build up the final the final result of what's going to look like he's certainly worked on some very impressive stuff as
0: well which which means that he has had the ability to learn from some great people Mm. along the way as well Mm. um i mentioned to you that that um that attitude that you've got to have in order to capitalize and take uh, take advantage of that opportunity Mm. of being around brilliance uh, um, experience and knowledge Mm. you you've got to be there has to be humility Mm. you've got to be humble and you've got to just shut up and Mm. and Gaze <coughs> wide-eyed at, at, at what is in front of you so often that's not the way mm. i think out of 20 20 artists one or two if you're lucky maybe i'd say one in
1: yeah, 20. have a collaborative approach and be able to appreciate that stuff and kind of learn from it and sort of incorporate it rather than i don't know be oblivious to it yeah. or even worse resist it when yours <laughs> is the only voice you hear
0: yeah. your your art is destined to plateau mm-hmm. forever Mm-hmm. Just forever, mm-hmm. like critique, feedback, knowledge—all mm-hmm. of these things that come externally—you
1: mm-hmm. got to be there, ready to receive it. This is and process it. This is my witty quip from last episode, which, which is, you know, if you know it, don't, don't do, do it. it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, Go and search out something that you don't know until you know that, mm-hmm. and then move on. We attended um, an event
0: last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bit of a talk from the. Um, Qpac region, mm. the the Australia, Australasia, mm-hmm. New Zealand sort of uh, area of the world. Mm. Um, the representative from Autodesk, right? Um, and he discussed some pretty cool things that, that interest us and, and, and that sort of piqued our interest. For people at home, can you describe Autodesk? I can do one better than that. Or I can throw their uh, Their profile up, but Autodesk is probably one of the largest media software companies on the planet. Um, Autodesk and Adobe, I guess, are the two big players Mm. in the world. Mm. Adobe specialising more in two D, two D stuff, ranging from Photoshop all the way through to video editing and Mm. Illustrator. Um, And they sort of own that market. The three D engineering. Computer aided design, um, animation. Mocap? Pr- is, yeah, Mocap, pretty much owned by Autodesk. Mm. No one really can mm. come near them as far as scale of the company, mm. scope, amount of people working for them. Mm. Um, it makes uh, 3D Studio Max, which is the 3D package that I sort of got my chops on, and also Maya. Um, and those two application, 3D applications are considered probably the the pinnacle mm. of 3d apps in, mm. the, in the world there's a few hovering just underneath that now mm-hmm. they were out out in front by a long way for a few years mm. um in fact they were rival companies yeah true one company used to be uh owned, uh, owned my alias yeah. alias wavefront yeah um canadian company I yeah, yeah yeah and then autodesk owned mm. um 3d studio max and then 3D Studio Max went uh, Autodesk went through a very aggressive buying uh, process there and they just went nuts and this was the, they the, bought everything
1: yeah this was the you know I was going to describe them as a cross between Octopus and Octopus and the Illuminati you know they're this big king, they, they sort of grab these pieces of software and incorporate them into their gene structure and uh yeah, have you had a look at their suite of software? There's a list as long as your arm.
0: Absolutely. The um, if you if you bring up all products, we're just I'm just throwing it up on the screen for us to have a look at. Mm. Um, it's so comprehensive. Is that the list there? That's the list. Yes. Yeah.
1: It's like a page full of words. <laughs> it looks like a white pages. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of them I have never heard of, and I don't even know what they do. Yeah. But I suspect actually a large variety. Well, what I actually suspect is a large variety of them are. Not related to games or some of visual them are, effects. Some of them are services. Um, some of them are well, plugins. Let me uh, change that slightly and say that there's an awful lot in there about CAD and and Archviz, yes. architectural visualization, and yes. that type of stuff. Plus, also as they were showing at this talk, um, how do I describe it? Um, like three not 3D printing, but 3D manufacturing type software. You know where you chop out shapes and stuff with some sort of laser cutter thing yeah. from a 3d package yeah, yeah.
0: Like, like a milling machine yeah exactly um, That's the thing. yeah yeah the 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 other big area that he discussed um, was photogrammetry yeah um, point cloud mm-hmm. photogrammetry mm-hmm. Um, using um, there's a service uh, that they run and it's pretty I think it's free or at least it was when it first started out I don't know whether it is still um, it's this recap 360 um, and basically you can upload a series of photos of an object from all different angles Mm. and the more photos the better Mm. and what will happen is it will process all the photos up in the cloud and reproduce a point cloud for you Mm. it will also reproduce um, an OBJ or a a mesh as well Mm. although the ones that they produce are probably not as good as what you can do with the point cloud Mm. if if you download it And a point cloud basically is a 3D scan Mm. um, of an area or an object and basically using traditional 3D scanners, you can generate a point cloud by shooting out lasers and then it comes back and then that data gets read and and a point gets created for for that point. A point in space. A point in 3D space. Um, And the more angles that you have, the more accurate your point cloud is. Well, photogrammetry is the same process but without the scanner. Mm. Instead, it uses triangulation of detail. Mm. Um, And I guess it's similar to what we do when we track um, uh, the movement of a camera in compositing using parallax Mm. algorithms where details within the shot get uh, read each frame and go through an algorithm so that every detail can only make sense in this algorithm when the camera exists at a certain place. Mm. And that's really critical for visual effects. Mm. We need to know where that camera is in 3D space relative to that object so we can replicate it and then do all sorts of things like blow it up and split it apart and Mm. do all sorts of wonderful things. So photogrammetry is an
1: exciting field. So it's like taking a three D photo of something, but it's a three dimensional object. Ultimately, what spits out the end of the yeah end of the machine. The three Dness comes from multiple photos, yeah, multiple yeah. vantage points, yeah.
0: yeah, and and because perspective and and the rules of perspective, provided mm. it's the same lens in all mm. of the photos, the rules of perspective are the same, mm. and so the algorithms, the math that sits underneath uses those rules to establish where everything must be for it to exist in each photo and
1: so dave was showing us a a model that he created by having a drone quadcopter fly over a bunch of buildings and stuff and doing this This just taking photos, I imagine, and then I made. I think it might have been just taking film, and then he said
0: two hundred and fifty photos.
1: Oh, it was was photos. I think he probably filmed it (laughs) at four K, and then extracted out the frames, and then pulled out frames. Yeah, yeah, and then sent them off to this thing, and comes back, and you've got a three D model. You know, you can see that there's errors in it. There's obviously when when the when the um. You know, they, they, when you don't have a photo of something, like you can't see the back of a building, it, it kind of looks a bit weird in the 3D model. But all of the bits that you can see look pretty, pretty reasonable.
0: This is uh, this is an example. We're just looking at a point cloud mm. that somebody has done for the Colosseum, yeah. and. Um, this stuff is being used by a lot of different industries at the moment. Obviously, entertainment you know, mm. industry are loving it. But a lot of industries that traditionally wouldn't be using these these types of toys that, mm. that the entertainment industry have been using for a while, um, engineering, uh, civil engineering, um, real estate, there's a whole bunch of people that are jumping in on it because it's affordable now. Mm. A LiDAR scan is not cheap, man. And if you don't own one, even getting somebody to come out mm. that guy's not cheap either because mm. he charges you for the lidar scanner yeah, pretty yeah. much anyway yeah um now you can just go out with a drone mm. you can buy a drone now that takes four that you can put a uh, gopro hero black mm. 4k uh, 4k at 60 frames per second mm. um, and just fly a drone around somewhere and bring the data back upload the images to the cloud and then come back 24 hours later and you've got a 3D point cloud for that. Mm. Including texture.
1: Yeah, yeah. Picks up colour information off the lasers. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's this amazing sort of desktop revolution that we're kind of experiencing right at the moment. That As soon as something's invented, you know, costs a lot of money and it's as big as a garage. But after a while, they make it small enough to fit in your pocket and you've got one sitting on your desk that does that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's... Um for for the motion picture industry it is a <coughs> massive time
0: saver mm. they used point cloud data he, he mentioned it in his talk um w- the avengers mm-hmm. um the new york fight scene the big uh, the final fight scene in the avengers the first movie all happened in new york not a single day of shooting was done in new york the so whole thing was done on green screen
1: so I imagine you wanted to buy Times square for yeah. six weeks worth of shooting and you had yeah. to stop all the traffic and all of that business yep cost a load of money but instead you grab one of these guys with his lidar scanner and he just pops down there and just lets it whiz around for half an hour and and basically sample the space and then you bring it back and you produce a 3d model and you've got yourself new york in your in your um studio absolutely they uh,
0: they actually they lidar scanned the streets and and the the city mm. from all these different vantage points including sitting on top of buildings in cranes um uh, hanging out of windows down on the footpath mm. they were lie down they, they were scanning from everywhere but another cool thing that they did was they sent a couple of guys out to take super high res um images for the texturing mm-hmm. and they would they would literally create um a HDR sphere uh-huh. on all of the points of all the buildings and up the street and they, they made oh, I can't remember the number but it was quite a high and it took these guys three or four months yep. to create all these super high res and I mean crazy res uh-huh. well those images not only provided the lighting solution for the geometry that was created based on the point clouds mm-hmm. point clouds aren't enough to hold um, realism as geometry but um, You can run a point cloud through a process and create geometry, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of cleanup work at this stage. Mm. Down the track, we might have higher resolution stuff, and eventually... You have to get rid of all the people and the cars and those type of things, so yeah. So some some port bugger has to clean up the point cloud, Mm. but it's a hell of a lot easier than from scratch Mm. building every single thing, because... Or stopping Times Square for six six
1: weeks. Absolutely,
0: because it's not just the buildings Mm. it's the windows it's the it's the um the buses the street signs the the garbage bins the phone booths Mm. everything Mm. has to be built Mm. um so the point cloud gets you a lot of the way there Mm. so they that's how they get the geometry but then the textures they would take from these super high res images that Mm -hmm. they took from all of these vantage points Mm. Um, and then used a projection method mm-hmm. from these spheres that they placed all over the city. Mm-hmm. And those spheres were basically where the camera was when it was taking the image. And they would take it in all the different directions. It would create the sphere. Mm-hmm. They'd use a triangulation method of actually projecting those
1: onto the geometry yeah, yeah. that they took with the scan. Yeah. That's incredible. And, you know, if we follow this desktop revolution, right now this is sort of tip of the spear, sort of crazy people doing crazy things with gaffer tape and stuff. You know, after a while, give it a few years, and you'll go down to, you know, your local supermarket and buy a LiDAR scanner and get it in a plastic box. Yep. And you'll sit it on your car, and it'll... Blah, 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 and then it'll download a model of your whatever it was that you were driving through, and then you'll... Um yeah, yeah, you'll do whatever you want to do with it then. The what was the camera? <clears throat>
0: I remember Tom that was on the show. He was excited about the you know the 3D camera. The, it's not a 3D camera though. It's a, oh the Litro, the Litro camera. Remember I t- we were talking about the the Litro camera. It's like six feet long. It's got a um, it's basically got a uh, a film back or a sensor that's fifty centimeters.
1: Ah, uh, so yeah, yeah, so yeah. Like okay, seven, yeah,
0: seven yeah vaguely, long. yeah, yeah. Um, and a Litro camera is. A camera that shoots at, or um, well, at least this camera's got a big, massive thing. So mm-hmm. it shoots at 4K, 8K, some stupidly high resolution. Mm. But it's not one lens, it's thousands of little lenses. Oh, yeah, yeah, I this. And the software that drives all of those little lenses mm. effectively allows you to film. 3D, mm-hmm. because when you think about it, the the little lens that's in the bottom left corner sees a different image to mm-hmm. the little lens that's in the top right
1: corner. Yeah, right.
0: That information goes back to a computer, mm-hmm. and the computer knows how to extrapolate that and use it. Mm-hmm. That's some pretty impressive stuff. When they when they work out how to shrink that stuff down, yeah, then you've got some pretty impressive stuff because you've got all of the benefit of a camera plus all the benefit of scanning, mm-hmm.
1: you know, 3D 3D scanning. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, in real time that's pretty impressive
1: one of the questions we asked good old dave when we were down there um at the one of the questions that i asked was about the future of vr Mm. and the future of 3d and um, whether these things are just gimmicks you know or whether they're going to become um you know a new offshoot a new genre or whether they're going to you know, change the world and just replace, you know, everything we do will be either, you know, 3D or whatever. Um, and this was built off some of the stuff that you'd come up with in the previous show where, you know, the amount of 3D, true 3D movies is declining quite rapidly. So give us some numbers on absolutely on the heyday. Well, uh, if we go back to uh, 2012 um actually
0: let's let's go back to avatar year okay 2009. 2009 and we've got about uh 10 or so maybe a dozen movies being shot there mm. um what you're looking at <coughs> is a site called real or fake 3d.com and i i religiously check this when i go to, to buy a blu-ray mm-hmm. um i try not to buy 3d films that aren't shot 3d mm-hmm although stereoscopic conversion nowadays is not bad mm-hmm. the the main difference is films that are shot in 3d means the director actually at least has an appreciation of what he's doing with the camera that he's not going to make
1: his audience throw up all over the place you know <laughs> yeah, what I mean yeah um, and, and do- may have incorporated incorporated that into his vision for whatever yeah you
0: know. yeah whereas stereoscopic conversion <clears throat> is really exactly that you're just making it look 3d mm-hmm. Um but it's shot 2D and therefore quite often is a roller coaster and mm-hmm. can make people quite sick. Mm. Um, and not to mention stereoscopic conversion can be, you can cheap out on it mm-hmm. and not spend as much and therefore mm-hmm. it won't be as good a transfer. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas th- shoot 3D, very rarely can you stuff that up. Mm. Yeah. Um, so in 2009, the year Avatar was shot, um, what we're looking at on the left hand side are shot in 3D, that's true stereoscopic shot, two cameras mm-hmm. using a double camera rig. On the right hand side is stereoscopic conversion, yeah. And in 2009, you've got five films here that were stereoscopic conversion uh, converted against about a, a dozen or so uh, that were shot in 3D. Now, of the 3D ones here, it's important not to get too excited about anything that's a 3D movie like a Pixar movie mm-hmm. or a Disney mm-hmm. movie um, because they get 3D for free. Mm. Pretty much every time they kick something to a render queue, mm-hmm. all they have to do is create a second camera that's got the interocular... They can reshoot it, essentially. Yeah, and, and literally, <coughs> yeah, they, they can re-render that mm. frame. Mm. Um, there is a little bit of cleanup work in the comp sometimes, but nowadays they can automate so much of it mm. knowing th- every part of the process. Mm. When you go out and shoot with cameras, things get bumped. In your, your rig. Mm-hmm. And, and most of your headache is cleaning that shit up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the noise. Yeah, and and comes at a big cost. So, um, realistically, we're only sort of talking a, a Final Destination there, um, the Jonas Brothers 3D, um, uh, My Bloody Valentine 3D, and you can tell, it's young days, they're sticking 3D in the name <laughs> of <laughs> that, that title, under the sea, 3D. <laughs> but movies like Up... You know they're they're not to be taken too you can take them seriously but don't get too excited about them because it's it's pretty easy to shoot that stuff and i'll I'll explain more as we move up the list but really avatar's the big game changer here have a look at the next year so it's easily doubled yes 2010 is a double avatar kicked it out of the park yeah
1: so everybody wants to go and shoot and also, the fake 3D has, like, Yes. right? So there's, like, as many fake 3Ds as there was real 3Ds in 2009. So and in one year, you know, it, it skyrockets. One year. And look, look at
0: these cheeky buggers that are putting 3D next to the name of the 2D converted. <laughs> Piranha 3D. <laughs> Hubble 3D. I think the one is sort of... I think that means it's a hybrid. Okay. Hybrid meaning some of the shots were 2d oh, converted right. others were actually 3d mm-hmm. and it makes sense that hubble is probably looking at things mm-hmm. that don't really exist in the render mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Might, as, might as well render too <coughs> so yes we're seeing an increase of both here an, a, a, an upsurge tron tron legacy um yeah there's a bunch of stuff even horror movies are, are being done okay so 2010 we're
1: going up yep
0: 2008 doesn't even fit on the page
1: 2011 so Uh, this is the true 3d 2011 has now increased again there's nearly 30 there at least can easily take take more than 30 there yeah yeah definitely yep um and our same with our fake 3ds everybody's yep justin bieber never say never
0: (laughs) god <laughs> well, we're seeing some really good uh, 3D <laughs> films as well. Kung Fu Panda. Hugh- Justin Bieber never say never is a Hugo, fake 3D, by the way. Hugo was done in 2011. Mm-hmm. Hugo was considered one of the greatest 3D films of mm. the modern age, mm, yeah. um, and it was shot specifically for 3D medium. Mm. Um, Scorsese didn't muck around, mm-hmm. and the film—the tribute to film of that of, of that particular film. The the tribute to classic film and cinema mm-hmm. um, that goes on throughout the shooting of that movie is just incredible, and I recommend it to anyone on a good setup, 3D setup to watch that film. But we're starting to see some really good stuff come out here, and this is when everyone's going to buy 3D televisions okay, because of this. We're starting to see this stuff in all of our <coughs> shops. So yeah? This is um, yeah, two or three years.
1: All right, <clears throat> so, so now
0: pretty huge. 2012, we're seeing a similar number. Maybe the roll off of a couple of titles but basically
1: This is true 3D it's still holding steady. Big
0: reduction in Something happened with fake 3D 3D. Yes It just failed And I think the thing that happened with fake 3D is some terrible um, People are wising up and they're able to choose between There was some
1: skimping Yeah yeah Yeah. Skimping
0: done on the process Mm -hmm. and some people uh, there was some bitter taste from Mm -hmm. the conversion process Mm -hmm. around that time but unbeknownst to the general public we were perfecting it we were getting a little bit better at it so when we get to 2013 we're now starting to shorten the list a little bit in the t- in the um true 3d in the true 3d but the list of uh conversion is growing
1: right? so maybe like that that last year was a bit of an anomaly it right could have it just it was a bit of a weird year yep. so yeah yeah but there's definitely less fake Absolutely. and a little bit less true yep. So this is 13 this is only three years ago
0: yep so now we roll into 2014, the list of converted films is growing mm. and this shot 3D when I take all of the 3D films out right the Rio the uh, the nut job yeah. the Lego movie um, the train dragon etc legend of hercules yeah. take all these out you have not got many films left and certainly not many Big budget films. There's Transformers there, Mm. X-Men, Exodus, uh, Ridley Scott's uh, Pharaoh movie, The Hobbit. Um, But yeah, not much else is going on in this list. Now look. Now something freaky happens. Something just happened. (laughs) (laughs) Something
1: just happened.
0: We've massive drop
1: off in shooting and an increase in... So our real 3D is now just... It's reduced back down to 2009 levels, and if we do what you said, like extract out the the actual 3D animations, what, Peanuts, Spongebob... Yep. Good Dinosaur, Transylvania... Transylvania 2. Yeah. In fact, there is
0: only two films in that list that I can see, maybe three, because I can't really tell you what Everything Will Be Fine is. Mm. The Martian definitely uh ridley Mm -hmm. scott shot 4k uh stereo Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um everything else in that list is is not real Mm. um it's not live action but this list is getting longer now the scary thing is when we get to 2016 the conversion is now starting to reduce and so is the uh so is the the shot now that to me indicates a trend
1: towards fad yeah yeah it means that it was a fad all along is what it's kind of indicating yeah and
0: when i saw the the sheer volume of money yeah gimmick what i was blown away with over the last 10 years not having no knowing this now
1: Mm.
0: is the sheer volume of money that got spent on it even though Mm. it was a fad Mm. and they probably knew it was a fad the whole time they knew it was going to sell televisions yeah yeah and a lot of the money that went into the the tech was mm. probably the pe- put in by the people that sell television mm-hmm. and Blu-ray discs and mm. three blu- and you know, the glasses and the cinemas. They have to retrofit all the cinemas mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, so we 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 wised up, I guess. Um, and even today, not many stereoscopic conversion is being done. And if you look at the projected 2017, there's only three films there. Now this will probably get increased by a couple of three D movies coming out of Pixar and Disney and DreamWorks and things like that,
1: but that's not overly impressive there. So yeah, the three D yeah has the three D in twenty seventeen only has three yep. three in there. All right, um, <clears throat> Alien Covenant. You know maybe you know some of the big name films, the AAA A films. Maybe some of them are still using it. Yeah. But anyway, all right, so here's my next question for you. Yep. Are there any cinematography, cinemographic cinematography rules associated with 3D films? Has anybody written a book about how to use 3D effectively to create better narratives, create cooler experiences, rather than, and this I'll, I'll tell you, is coming at you. Yeah, yeah. Did you see? Yeah, the, the axe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that was the movie that I first saw 3D. It was yeah. called Coming At You, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? It was literally. <laughs> There's all these people shooting arrows at you in the yeah. in the theatre. That's with that coloured glasses thing. Yeah. Coming At You. All right, so has anybody written any treaties on Probably. the artistic use of? It'd have to be. They'd have to be. I know of a couple, um, yeah. a
0: couple of rules. Well, tell me a couple it. of rules that you know. Of. The, the, the interocular distance between your eyes or the, the two cameras, right? They converge. It's a, it's a, at a point called the convergence point where they cross over. Okay. In the scene. The convergence point should always be the point of focus. Right. In your scene they didn't really understand that when they were doing stereo conversion work early on because mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. thought any monkey could do it mm-hmm. right any idiot you could stick a um a primate in front of a computer and they could do stere- stereoscopic conversion as it turns out you actually need to be an artist okay you actually need to understand z-depth and um narrative and because that convergence point is all about the focal point um convergence point i guess is the focus point for 3D for th- shooting in 3D whereas normal normally we use focus as the
1: focal point yep is that though i don't know if that's answered my question to be honest with you and maybe i didn't answer the, ask the question goodly enough yes but um that seems to be a technical thing yeah more akin to making sure the batteries are in the camera and the camera's plugged in and the focal points are set correctly. That's a technical point so of you're how you t- you're construct talking about it. a narrative? I'm talking about the rules associated with, you know, because, you know, you talk about cinematography generally. Yep. You've got, you know, panning and editing and rules of thirds and cutting across the line and, mm. and all of these sort of artistic and narrative-based tools and rules and methods and conventions that um, make film what it is, the experience that it is. And so I'm I'm fishing around, and I haven't done any research into this, but is there the equivalent for 3D? There is. It's the same rules. There's no different.
0: All right, well... There are are the same do's... But there's some extra donts.
1: Okay. So this is where I'm I'm at I'm going to with Does that the make
0: fact. sense? Does that make sense? Like like narrative wise, it's unaffected. You can you can shoot because here's the thing. Three D is not three D, right? Three true three D means I can go like that yeah. and look behind the tree. Yeah. Right? I can't do that with stereoscopic with normal wear your glasses in a cinema no they've just got the coming at you happening right the, yeah through a there's a there's a scientific principle that um the slight shift the interocular shift mm-hmm. um, of the two images gives you the impression that things have... it makes you perceive have, that it's
1: closer or further away and that it has body yeah right? and yeah. you
0: can move your head a little bit and you think you can look around behind it it's all happening in your brain yeah yeah so it's still 2d Mm -hmm. and that's how i can confidently tell you that there is no difference when it comes to narrative Mm -hmm. shooting like cinematography capturing except for the short list of don'ts and that is in relation to (laughs) people throwing up all right all right so you so you will have to make some decisions sometimes narratively that have a technical reasoning um,
1: and that oh, medical reason <laughs> okay it. does that make sense yeah so um, it's got the same set of rules um, except don't do the throw up stuff yes okay so I'm going to now offer you a product yeah. that you can use for your car okay and it's called a fifth wheel yeah now what you do is you put on the fifth wheel and then you ask me, well, what's the difference when you stick on a fifth? Well, there's no difference, really. Yeah, yeah, it's just the same. Yeah. Except if you do it wrong, you'll throw up. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. So I suppose what I'm trying to expose is the the nature of the fad is that if you don't have some theory, you don't have some some artistic angle, some yeah. artistic hook mm. to enliven or expose or yeah. or um, the, you know create forgetting- a better experience.
0: You're forgetting about there is a separation between aesthetic and narrative, mm-hmm. right? There is crossover mm. and we use aesthetic things. We use... This is the coming use, at you, right? That's the no, aesthetic. No, no, it's not just coming at you. It's it's the fact that my brain is perceiving um, form and space mm-hmm. and I'm in that space. Mm. My brain plays and so, tricks with me and same with everybody else in the audience. Mm-hmm. It's an immersion, right? In the space. Okay. That's different to
1: narrative. Okay, yeah. So there's another aspect. Yeah, so yeah. But that's what I was trying to get to is So therefore it's it's that's the part of it that is
0: if you just look at it as a narrative thing, it's a fad. Yeah. It's a fad. In fact, it's a fad that has some restrictions to it that actually can make you sick. (laughs) That it it can affect narrative. Yeah, if you don't make good decisions, Mm. you're going to lose opportunities in the story, to and how you shoot it. But if, if, as long as you're aware of that and you can deal with those restrictions, Mm -hmm. you are gaining something Mm -hmm. because you have to go away from narrative to understand the actual benefit, which is immersion. Mm. And when you do it properly. There's two sorts of um, uh, 3D viewing at the moment um, that we use commonly. One is active and passive. Mm -hmm. Um, Active is shutters. So little tiny motors in glasses. In your glasses, yep. And they shut on and off between two different uh, fields, basically.
1: Yep. Um, But it's the full image. Yeah, so it's in 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 the same frequency as as the frame rate up in your screen, right? Double. Double. Double? Yeah, it happens
0: every half a second. Okay. So if it's 24 frame per second film, it flash, it jumps um, 48 frames, but you don't perceive, it's not shot in 48 frames, Mm -hmm. it's still shot 24 frames, Mm -hmm. but the glasses are actually showing you left eye, right eye, Mm -hmm. every half a second. Okay. Cool. But because they're active, I'm not having to, my glasses aren't forcing me to see every second line as... That eye mm-hmm. and every other line has that eye, mm. which means I'm halving the resolution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Active mm-hmm. is the superior, mm-hmm. right? But unfortunately, a lot of people can't really hack mm. the active glasses. Mm-hmm. They sort of, their mm. brain explodes. And, mm. You know, they don't yeah. like it. Yeah, yeah. Um, some people prefer the the passive. Mm. So if you've got a 1080p image, you're halving that mm. with with passive glasses plus passive. It's a filter. Yep. Basically, it's a filter. On on the lenses, and so therefore color is impacted yep. as well. If you get good glasses, good active glasses, I mean, there's expensive glasses, a, an expensive projector or television that um, does good um, uh, 3D reproduction, it is a superior experience to watching the film in 2D. Okay, if you get shit glasses, Mm -hmm. with a shit projector, in a shit environment, Mm -hmm. it is less than half the quality (laughs) of a 2D, and that's the range, Mm -hmm. and -hmm. that's the problem, Mm -hmm. because most people skimp, most people cheap out, and they look at it and go, it's like, I've I've used the analogy talking about sound before, um, the the similarity with sound, when surround sound field processing came in... Mm It was all about recording sound fields in, in halls and stadiums and cinemas all over the world and then putting that information onto chips, DSP chip, digital sound field yep. processing chips. <coughs> Yamaha led the field, right? Hmm. Um, and so when you went out and bought an amp that was a 5.1 surround sound amp with a DSP chip in it, mm-hmm. you actually got the surround field that the person that sat in the cinema um the sound room mm-hmm. and encoded the information. Yep, with dialogue in the centers, music and surround, whatever. Mm-hmm. The person that encoded that, may, wanted you to hear it through that, using that chip. Yeah, because it was a DSP <coughs> standard, THX mm-hmm. DSP standard, right? Three um, D's the same. Mm. They want you to watch it the way, uh, when when uh, Cameron released Avatar, you you didn't get it unless you you had at least a minimum of a certain amount of equipment in the cinema, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? You weren't allowed to play it. Yep. It, you, it had to have this standard and this standard and whatever. Yep. Um, the problem is people skip and they mm-hmm. get pseudo stuff. They get, you know, sound, have you seen sound bars? Yeah, people go out now and, and they replace digital sound field, you know, Dolby ProLogic, uh, you know, all these wicked standards... They replace that with a big bar that goes underneath their telly and a subwoofer that sits on the ground. And apparently that is going to give you the same experience. Mm-hmm. Well, that's fucking ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. Mm. But they're
1: selling like hotcakes because they're cheap.
0: Mm. That's the death of 3D.
1: Okay. All right. So and, the market and, drives it. And the 3D films and the 3D conversion films probably play into that as well. To um, No, yeah. the,
0: the market drives... The creation of the films. If if no one's buying the films, if mm. people are lining up to go and watch the the Sen Stadium version, the mm. IMAX version that's not 3D, mm. they know all that data. Like mm. they know they're not going to go and shoot a 3D film because they've always wanted to do it. Mm. They they have to get their money back and they have to make sure that crowds are going to be interested in that. Mm. They're losing interest because they're watching it on their mates' cheap seven hundred dollar television and. Shitty glasses that they stole from the cinema.
1: Okay, okay, okay. So the passive and yeah, all right. Um, so my, I suppose, yeah, my sort of original thought that which 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 started off this direction was that the, the 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 thing that I was trying to sort of come to is that there might be that stuff, but there might also be if nobody's sort of exploiting the art and developing the art, yeah. the the artistic side of it, then um, you know perhaps that's another nail in the coffin. Is that it's not being used for anything, yeah. you know. It's just like putting, you know, speed stripes on your car. It's like doesn't make it go faster, yep. you know. Um,
0: I put it to you that there is another, there is another <clears throat> element that is another nail. Okay, what's that?
1: VR. Okay, so that's where I wanted to go not next. That, not that
0: it's more promising. And I don't think we can cover it in detail. No, we, I think... I think we'll cover, we're we're going to carry over to probably next show because I'd like to bring in you... I think you've, you've got some things in mind that we want to talk about and, mm. and come together with. But I think the biggest problem is a lot of the smart people, the boffins, are off playing with VR and not... Settling in this tech, this three D tech, you know, because at one point there we were heading down a pathway. What they're off.
1: leapfrogging past it is what you're saying. Well, the, yeah, they've looked at it and they thought no, no, shiny well, VR off in the future. Let's go off in that, that direction because there's dollar in the fad. There's dollar <laughs> in the
0: fad. They know it, and who's putting the money up? It's Disney. It's it's Warner Brothers. It's Sony. Fad they're putting. Rinse and repeat. They're giving money to enterprising, innovative filmmakers, mm-hmm. tech tech filmmakers. Mm to go out and shoot VR films. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole can of worms. We'll talk about that next week because there's some
1: real narrative issues with that shit. Well, I wanted to introduce (laughs) some of that, all right, because I've got some kind of opening thoughts on that. And that's where I was kind of going with the, you know, what's the narratological cinematographical techniques for 3D? And I don't know, maybe we can do some research. But apart from coming at you and... Immersion, which I don't know if. Well, maybe those are. See, yeah, you, cinemagraphic sort of, sort of. You're concepts. still going to get the
0: coming at your stuff in in VR, but in VR I can look away. Yeah, I, and I can't see it hit me. I can't do that in 3D. I have to close my eyes. Do you have stereoscopic?
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's stereoscopic, absolutely. of course, absolutely, right. right.
0: But the the major difference, the major thing with VR versus 3D mm. is how participatory the viewer is in the experience. It's okay. it's they they're
1: they're, a, they're the director. Yeah. They're sort of the director. All right. So I wanted to do a couple of opening salvos on this topic. Yep. All right. Um I actually wanted to start with um, the past. And if you think back, Mm -hmm. and we might have discussed this earlier on the show, but if you think back, when cinematography, when cameras were first used to make films, the cinematography, there was no cinematography. No. Because people just, the directors, just stuck the camera in front of the thing like an audience at a play. Yes. And then they pressed press play on the press record on the the film thing oh and they got the actors, actors to prance around in front they recorded yep. the whole damn thing then the, the job done there's yep. your movie done and the and logic it, the logic probably would have been people
0: are going to be sitting in a cinema to watch it so why not make the camera a
1: voyeuristic person in a cinema seat when we film it, and there's also some other. And it good looks ar-
0: exactly like that.
1: Apart from the fact that they probably didn't think to do crazy things with the camera, well, maybe that's actually debatable. But another there's good argument. Some there's there always There's always yeah. There's always weirdos
0: in a back room doing
1: crazy things. Yeah, yeah, with mirrors with and all sorts stuff. of things, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But um, another good argument is that that's what the audience would have been familiar with. Yes. Right. So they all would have been expecting to see a play. They know what a play is. They've all done that and gone and seen a vaudeville act a hundred times. Yeah when they go and see a film, they don't want none of this coming at you stuff. I want to see all the actors on the stage and I want to see them. Like, okay, so that would have been perhaps a normal experience. So you've got that kind of thing where there's these sort of expectations that are playing into it. Mm. Plus, um, you know, there's got to be a bit of a development of creativity when eventually somebody decides, hey, hang on a minute, I can stick this camera right yeah, in somebody's close, face. Close up.
0: And imagine sitting in a cinema in, in 1910 or whenever. Yeah. And seeing the first close up, yeah and, yeah, and actually having this fifteen foot high head right in front of you, and every person in the cinema, that person is on, looking, is looking straight yeah, yeah. down the barrel, of, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: of you. That's coming at you, right? Yeah. And you know, I know from stories of you know, so a close
0: up was a fad at, I, at one point.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know from stories before someone, harnessed that, you know, people would film. Um, train stations with a train coming in yeah. to the thing or actually a train passing the camera and everybody duck and get yeah. out of the way and it's only this 2d 12 yeah. frames per second black and white grainy thing but people are freaking out because they've never seen a train in a room before yeah. you know this is craziness. this, this yeah. is literacy all right okay so then uh, cinematography developed let's move the camera let's stick it in cool places and we develop a whole bunch of rules yeah. you know this is how it, how it works for example, some of the rules like cutting across the line and yes. cut across the line, right? Yep. So this is for those who continuity. Know, yeah, it's a special rule that you've got to keep the camera kind of on one side of a conversation, so that the character there's a line between us.
0: Yep. When I'm filming you talking to me, mm. I can only be on this side of that line. Yeah. And I can only cross over that line when I'm filming me. I can't film you again once I've crossed that line.
1: Yeah. So in in a dialogue, what you have to see is. One character is on the right-hand side of the screen. Yep. One character is on the left-hand side of the screen. you just got to stay that way for the conversation, yep. which is a bit like actually what you experience in real life is you look this way to see this person talk. You look that way to see that person talk. Yep. So there are all these type of rules. That, so the um, audience must always know where they are in the scene. Right, right. And this is where we're going to start hitting VR land and we're into a new territory, but we've probably got not exactly the same problems, but there's the similar sort of problems, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it takes the same amount of sort of creativity to bust through. I was watching um, earlier um, in the week a... Um, I was looking up VR cinematography. Mm-hmm. And I was doing a search on YouTube. And there's no videos on YouTube in my cursory quick look, for VR cinematography. It hasn't been invented yet, Dave, yeah, yeah. right? It hasn't yeah. been invented yet. So that means that you and I are cutting-edge authority Absolutely. on VR Absolutely. cinematography. If,
0: if we wrote a book, it would be the definitive <laughs> <laughs> guide. Yes.
1: And um, so when I say there wasn't, there, there's one. So, And it was actually just posted just the other day, yep. just today or just yesterday, some, some guy has posted, The Philosophy of VR Cinematography. Nice. And um, he's explaining a couple of his thoughts. So what I wanted to do was just kind of reflect on a little bit of that and some of the interesting things that he had to say. Because he'd obviously been doing some experimentation. Um, uh, Another another point, actually, just before I go um, any further, is I think Veritasium, are you familiar with Veritasium? I think it's Veritasium... I'm um, rather big YouTuber, um, does lots of science-y type um, videos. Mm. He did one on VR where I was a little discouraged because he was kind of poo-pooing it as the fad. Right? Really? Um, now, truth mileage may vary. Yeah. My memory is crap, mm. but... He was perhaps not epiphestically, you know, effusively overflowing with joy at VR because he was highlighting some of the issues that mm. that there are about having the cutting is this type of nausea-inducing things that you know. All yeah. Right. So, and how do you construct a story, especially if you want to guide somebody through a story and you want to show them some cool stuff? Yeah. And they can look anywhere; they might not be looking at your cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. Um, you know this guy was talking about it um, and he, he made a couple of interesting points as Veritasium I think it's Veritasium I can't quite remember was walking down the street doing a VR thing talking about VR holding the stick on a camera you know he wasn't really doing he wasn't really doing a narrative yeah and he was saying this isn't a very good system for a narrative He wasn't doing a narrative he was just walking and talking and it would have been fine for you to twist the camera around and look at the street because you're just listening to him talk yeah you know, it didn't matter Right, and this is, I think, an interesting thing is that we'd heard Dave in that talk talk about the use for it in training or the use for it in tools uh, as a tool, Mm. some description. um, You could also imagine um, VR being used as a um, observational tool, right? So you just go up Mount Beautiful and you do some VR stuff and then people can go, oh yeah, let me have a look down here, let me have a look over there. And that's a certain type a of... visualisation tool. Yeah, yeah. That's a, a certain type of experience. But then... And you've it, hit on it. I'll come back to experience. Would you want to go off now?
0: There was an interview done recently on FX Guide. It was mm-hmm. a podcast interview with a, with a, the guy that runs one of the penultimate uh, houses in Hollywood for pre-production video like... Um, Previous, yep. Previous gurus, uh-huh. right? These guys were, were the the go to for, for previous, mm-hmm. and previous started it's started with storyboards, and then we would mm-hmm. animate the storyboards over time, and then we've mm-hmm. uh, we've grown to become extremely efficient at doing three D storyboards. Mm-hmm. Well. He was asked a question about VR and, and how, where does he think VR um, will impact or be impacted by pre-visualization. And he said, one of our major sectors of business at the moment is VR. Mm-hmm. And I thought he was gonna go here. He didn't, he didn't zig-zag. Uh-huh. He said, the number one use for visual, for VR is events. Event uh-huh. planning. Event management, all right. Event experience—it's about experiencing something. Mm -hmm. So when your goal is to have an audience experience something, Mm -hmm. VR's you can. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Because an experience, I make the narrative. Yeah, yeah. I look where I'm interested to look. Yeah. If I want to whip around, if I want to see the, if I want to see the guy jump the forty buses and land, um. I want to choose where I'm going to see him land whether down there or up here or inside the car or whatever mm. um, that's where I think um, I think he's onto something mm-hmm. I think the future of VR is not film not yet mm-hmm. when we f- perfect photoreal humans mm-hmm. and we can scan all the greatest actors of the day and they can voice the characters but it's actual 3D people
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I'm in a 3D world mm-hmm. through the goggles
1: and can cruise around and do whatever I want I can go wherever I want Yeah, yeah. at the moment we
0: can't do that because mm-hmm. you still ca- it's camera rigs we've, yeah, yeah, we've yeah. shown all of those camera rigs right mm-hmm. that's one fixed point in space mm-hmm. I can look in any direction mm-hmm. but I can't look behind the tree mm-hmm. as soon as I can look behind the tree mm-hmm. that's when cinema will come back to VR oh
1: then it just crashes straight into a computer game because then I
0: can drive the narrative my way as a director, mm. you can look at it however you want. Mm. You can go over there and sit in, in amongst those twenty people in the crowd over there, or you mm. can be right up here, fly fly on the wall, or whatever. And therefore, you can watch my movie fifty times, mm. five thousand times. It'd be a different film every time. Yeah, yeah. I'm not concerned where you look. Right yeah. at the moment, you don't get a choice. You, you're stuck in the middle or on the bridge or wherever. You're stuck there. So I have to then try to tell a narrative. From a fixed vantage point, right? But I have to keep your attention on what I want you to to look at. We can't. That's cinema's not going to use it, man. Trust me. <laughs>
1: all right, all right, all right. Just before you start making definitive statements about yeah, what yeah. will happen in the yeah, future, cool. Um, just to remind you that uh, you know people's ability to predict predict what happens in the future is notoriously bad. Yes. Um, I take our second our first world war generals cannot could not imagine a world you know a war without horses mm, you mm. know or machine guns were just a fad but um uh, all right so and and so yeah before we go into the definitive statements I just wanted to sort of highlight a few of the things that came out of this video that this guy was talking about in his yep. philosophy of cinematography for VR mm. and um and one of the things that that he said that was kind of encouraging was that you know, he was sort of saying, well, people say you can't do this and people say you can't do that. And, you know, he was saying, you know, it's a little bit early to call whether you can or you can't do that. You know, we've got a 100 years worth of not only cinematography um, rules but also cinematography kind of narrative expectations as an audience. Absolutely. So there's two things going yeah. on there. Yeah. And maybe both of those things have to be built on or changed in some way. And that's that's... <clears throat> That's not new. Mm. Like, that's always been dynamic. Mm. And we've been
0: introducing people to new cinematography uh, techniques of storytelling
1: um, as we've developed new tech. Yeah, yeah. So maybe this is you know, just a continuation of the progression. In fact, one of the interesting things I'd like to know is, is this a continuation of the progression? Is it going to be an offshoot that goes in a completely different direction? I mean, is film, and this is a question for later, is film as good as it's going to get? It's like a horse and cart. It'll you're not going to get a horse and cart that you can't yeah, add. Yeah. Any, you can't add anything to make it better. It's yeah. just a, you just get a wheels and yeah. you strap it to but, a
0: horse. But personal, but personal, um, personal travel. It depends on how you define what you're actually looking at. But
1: if you take, if you change personal, like
0: personal transport method, method, right? Getting from A to B is a dynamic thing that consistently evolves, right? Yes, but and you so end, do the rules.
1: But you end up in a car, and a car is different from a horse and cart. Mm. So that's what I'm saying, is that the horse and cart still exists, but it's as good as it's going to get. And if you make it something else, like say, we'll remove the horse and put an engine in, yeah. was well, not a ca- horse and cart anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what I'm saying with the okay. film. Maybe we've hit the sort of pinnacle, and the only way is to bud off and go into a completely different direction, because yeah. film ain't getting any better. Yeah. It's all been worked out. It's done. You yeah. know, yeah. Not, not, not that, that you should stop doing it, or that it's a bad medium or whatever. Just like horse and carts, they're still around, and they're well, still useful.
0: Narrative film... Is not getting any better. Film is getting better. Like, f- have you seen a four K film?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. The tech well, can that get sh- better.
0: That shit is surreal, man. It's like it's like the, it's it, you're in the room. Mm, like it's yeah, so okay. crystal clear. Mm. But narrative cinema, yeah, um, and that's telling of, a story. That's in kind it, of what I'm trying to, window.
1: Yeah, yes, that's what I'm trying to p- pinpoint. Yes, yes. Yeah. All right. So because
0: four K doesn't change that.
1: No, it doesn't. No, that's right. Um, so. What this guy is basically saying, and he's got a couple of interesting points, you know, apart from the interesting point of don't be a naysayer too early, you know, just give it a chance, just, just hold your horses for a sec. Um, his other interesting point is that just because you have a 3D screen that can go all around the viewer, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean your story has to take place in places where people can't see. Mm. You can use that as a part of the narrative to tell the story mm. but he says that that is not what you should be doing right it's like if you had a a normal film mm. and all of the cameras were off off shot yeah. talking it's like why would you do that yeah. you know in some circumstances it might be useful but that's not really what you're supposed to do with it yeah the next thing that he says is that even though you've got 360 degrees you can point in any random bloody direction you want point in your head he says, no, 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 no. There should always be a front.
0: I was about to say, people don't stand up in a cinema. Yes. There's a
1: chair. Exactly. And
0: you're not going to watch a film.
1: <laughs> yeah, That's well, right. You're
0: going to get a sore neck. <laughs>
1: that's right. Aren't you? That's right. And he says, this is his other I good point. I hadn't even considered that. This is his other good point, is that people will be watching it sitting in chairs. Yeah. Right? And, <laughs> and therefore, the stuff... Oops.
0: He shoot. is the expert.
1: Yes, he is. That's right. He's the <laughs> cutting edge expert. Therefore, um, yeah, people will not actually be able to look really look around behind them. And so, yeah. and so that's out of the picture, like mm. in more senses than one, yeah. right? So, you know, he says that you're, you should still always... It's still a screen, mm. like a normal screen, yeah. and it's got a front. Yeah. In fact, what he says is a centre. Yeah. It's got a centre. So when you're planning your shots and you're doing your storyboards and all of that stuff... You've got to consider that centre yeah. as a place of reference mm. that has importance in it. Yeah. Um, now his next point, and this was um, probably we can take a little, um, a little piece of wisdom from Eddie Prickett, who we was talking about earlier on today, um, and he was saying that he's directing the audience's eye with his animation. Mm. Right. So, you've got two characters talking. If both of the characters are waving their arms around and yelling and screaming, you don't know which character to look at and you can't focus on either one and then you lose yeah. concentration and you don't know what's going on. And really that is analogous to the pro- the, the supposed problem of VR, yeah. is that people, okay, this is what people are concerned about. we can't cut. Well, what Eddie then, you know, does, and this is what animators do generally, mm. You know, if there is they have one character talk at one time and the other character talk at the other time, and when one character's finished talking, they often have a movement that yeah. directs your eye yeah. across diagonal lines, and you naturally look down their arm, and then suddenly the other character starts talking, yeah. and it's all planned and it's organised. There's a hidden language there of, right.
0: of lead lines and exactly. um, you know perspective tricks and things like that that you can you can pull with poses.
1: So this is where it comes to the you can't cut with VR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So again this guy is like, no no no, just just hold your hold your horses. Just ease down, ease down with you can't do mm. can't do stuff. Yeah, yeah. And what he's saying is, imagine you have the front. Mm. Your VR front and your action is going to be located in this spot. And so people's eyes will be on that spot. You know, and then when you do a a cut or a change um You have to be wary that that's where people's eyes are most likely to currently be, and if you just replace that with more images that are important, people will follow along. But if you replace the important images off to the side, Mm -hmm. then people will get lost and they won't be able to follow what's going on. Yeah, He's on the right track. Yeah, and so he's made a, a little short film where he's kind of exploring these these, um, these ideas. And he's got a couple of other uh, cool rules where he's sort of dividing the world up into zones of importance, yep. you know, and there's these sort of side panels. The peripheral. Yeah, yeah. The other cool thing that he, he mentioned as well was defining a few terms, which I think is also another important thing that has to happen um, for us to talk intelligently about this stuff. And one of them, are the terms that he used... Uh, it was a POV camera. Mm. So that is you, and you don't have to always do this, but imagine you had a movie that was solely POV. Mm-hmm. So it's like a first-person computer game, yeah. right? So the character, you know, the camera's strapped to somebody's head and mm-hmm. the character walks down the, the thing and you can look left or you can look... Okay. Um, and then the next one was he had um, static omni, which is the camera is just an invisible person just yeah. stuck somewhere and you can turn around and so it's an omnidirectional, but it's static mm. and then the other one is a kind of a dynamic omni mm. which is different from the point of view in that it's like a camera on rails and it might yeah. go up the side of a building and then down or somewhere or other yep. but you can look around all the time
0: there's examples of all three of those currently yeah. in in um in on youtube that they've that they've sunk money into um the help is the one that i showed you with the the monster thing down in the tram and kind up. yeah 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 that's um what was the last one in uh dynamic Dynamic omni Omni. that's that's that one yeah where you're sort of being led around by you know people escaping in front of you come with us come Mm. with us and you're sort of moving around with them
1: so here's the um the next point is that and this is a bit of a interesting one because remember we're talking about the ar and the fifth wheel on the car well then, if you're going to follow this guy's rules, or be inspired by this guy's rules, and have all of the action take place in the centre of vision, mm. why do you need VR? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's right. And you're back to the pinnacle, the horse and cart, which is still as good as it ever was. Yeah. You know, which is the good old, you know. I'm going to stick to it. I'm, I'm absolutely screen.
0: sticking to my prediction. Okay. Right? Yeah. That we will not see virtual reality cinema Mm -hmm. until we've cracked photo real environment like photo real um i mean photo real game Mm. with a narrative worked into it Mm -hmm. right so picture any normal film happens somewhere Mm -hmm. location kitchen oval Mm -hmm. tunnel whatever Yeah, yeah um that's the that's all 3d -hmm. the characters are 3d everything is 3d but it's photoreal 3d right um and then i am experiencing that that film from within
1: the whole story takes place kind of in a parallel navi- nav- rather than a yes. sequential narrative. It's a parallel. It's it's so still a bunch sequential
0: of, in time, like it's <clears throat> linear. There's still
1: time, yes. Yeah, yes. But there's a bunch of things going on potentially simultaneously yes. and you cannot be in all places at once. Yes. That's right. And therefore you must experience the thing a multiple times yep. and do some do some work yep. and and piece together the the who done it. Absolutely. Yeah. Right.
0: And I think when when we have the ability to look behind the tree, mm-hmm. right? Then cinema I think will take on. Mm. Until then, mm. VR will be used for as a tool mm. for mm. visualization. Mm. So showing you places and things you, you can't see mm. with the naked eye mm. because of its location, that volcano space, deep ocean, mm-hmm. wherever. Mm-hmm. Wherever it might be, inside a heart, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. So visualization, experiences mm. like events, like I'd love to go to Con, Without having to go to Comic Con, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, yeah, just the ability to walk through, um, just like just like Google Earth allows me to walk up a street. I believe they had that at one of the last Sigraphs where they had little robots going around and people you can talk to. And there's some dude on the internet on the robot, and he's weird driving it around yeah. the SIGGRAPH. Yeah, yeah. You only yeah. need these little, um, little sort of cameras dangling
0: all around an mm, event, mm. Um, as long as they're down low enough, mm. and you can uh, jump
1: between them and I just jump like yeah, like yeah, uh, yeah. like Street View. Yeah, yeah, no different. Um,
0: that's where I think, mm. and as a tool for mm. production, like the ability to uh, previs, to mock up, to even shoot uh, on on screen, um, like to actually be a cinematographer in the virtual space. Um, so yeah, there's a bunch of uh, tools and and things like that that, that can be used. M- military strategy mm. um, training mm. for for uh, military, for police, for those sorts of things. Anywhere where someone's in harm's way, um, definitely you want to be able to go uh, train people where they're not in harm's way, you mm-hmm. know, and VR is a great way to do that. So I think that's where we're stuck until tech and supercomputing, you know, quantum computing from last week mm-hmm. will come into it. When mm-hmm. we start to go down a path of being able to process um, at an incredible rate, then Having a CG, photorealistic environment mm-hmm. is no biggie. Mm-hmm. You know, we're already doing it now. When you walk around some of these games, it's pretty incredible, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The Uncanny Valley is the only thing kicking us in the guts. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I think cinema will, will take on, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. it's a big jump, man. Mm-hmm. Like, how, mu- how, how much do you reckon you're going to pay when you go to the cinema to watch a, a VR film?
1: Well, you have to have the headgear stuck on your head. For 300 people? Yeah, yeah. How much is that going to cost? Yeah, too much. It's, it's crazy. You it's know not going to th- happen. You know what they're going to have to do? They're going to have to have a LiDAR in the cinema <laughs> with freaking laser beams. Yeah, yeah. And they shoot the movie straight in your eyeballs. Yeah, yeah. Just just zap it in. <laughs> One in each eyeball so they get the stereo. You won't have to go anywhere. You'll do that from your mobile. Oh,
0: you got to see this thing. Cool, man. And yeah, I think cool. I think we'll carry carry this over to next week because there's some toys we'll have a look at too. We'll, yeah, let's look at the tech, we'll look at some the, kit.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: So that's probably it for us today. Uh, we went a little deeper into the rabbit hole for uh, for VR than than was planned, but it was all uh, all good stuff, and that's going to be our starting point for touching base with it again, um, maybe next week.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So if people want to start checking out tech, um, I suppose that's where the conversation might go. Um, as well as trying to follow the, I don't know, the best thinking, the cutting edge thinking on what it all means and how to use it and what it's best for. Absolutely. Um, that's probably the next direction I'm going to be thinking in. So I
0: think uh, I think we can sign off. The best way I know how to sign off uh, at the moment is to use our brand new mm-hmm. theme track, <laughs> which is still a work in progress. We, mm. we might even try to put some sort of mention of Voyage of the Geek in at the end there. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe whisper in the <laughs> background say, of
1: the King,
0: something like that so uh, any parting words before I kick it to our audio extravaganza no
1: nah, just remember to save often beautiful <laughs>